0: Um, but before I get into um, the preaching of the word that I feel God wants um, me to share with you this morning, I do want to encourage a couple of people in the room. And when I was praying yesterday in preparation for today, I felt God give me the, the phrase that um, there have been people who've been experiencing uh, unusually intense anxiety about this year. And so if you're someone who's been experiencing unusually intense anxiety about this year, I want to encourage you with a couple of keys this morning um, because God wants you to not carry that anxiety into this year. So one of them was something that um, was unusual for me. You know, usually I'll ask God for a scripture or a prayer to pray um, when, when he prompts something, but what God showed me was actually a piece of music that I'm going to recommend to you if you are one of these people who has been experiencing this intense anxiety And please bear with me because it's from a Latin American worship instrumental group. And so I don't think their name or the name of the song is in English. So this is not the simplest instructions you'll ever get from stage. But um, the Lord's on it, so bear with me. So if you have been experiencing I really felt um, as I was praying into this, that this piece of music is going to be a key to change the atmosphere in your home. So I want to encourage you, play this over your kids while they're sleeping play this over yourself while you are sleeping because the anointing and the presence of god is going to minister to you um, as you play this so it's called gratitude but spelled without the e on the end okay so gratitude i guess you would say it is and the artist is collective o one so collective but with an o not an e on the end and the number one and robert bautista Okay, if you want that specifically, come and find me after the service. I'll be just down the front. Um, but I do believe that there is something in there for people who've been experiencing anxiety that the presence of God is going to bring freedom to you and to your home through that piece of music. Um, I also felt that um, there have been some people who've been particularly anxious about a business deal that was meant to go through this week, but you haven't heard, yet, heard back yet about the answer to that business deal. And I felt the Lord lead me to Proverbs 3, chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, which says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And I felt like there's a challenge in that for you to let go of your need to understand everything. And I felt really strongly that there is a specific reason that God is not showing you everything just yet, but it will make sense at the right time. Um, so, if you're in either of those groups of people, after this service, we're going to have some of our pastors and some of our amazing prayer team down the front of the service, and we would love to lay hands on you and pray for you if you're experiencing any of those things. We had several people in the last service who experienced a great level of freedom when we were able to pray to pray and partner with their faith. Um, but the scripture I want to encourage anyone feeling anxiety with is John chapter 16 and verse 33. It says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Okay. So often we want to not have to go through the trials and the tribulation and the challenges, but that's not the promise that God gives us. The promise that God gives us is that he has overcome those things. So when they do come our way, You stand upon the promise of God's word that says he has overcome the world. So take a hold of that promise this morning if that's you and you've been experiencing any of those things. But would you close your eyes with me this morning and we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here this morning to speak to every one of our hearts. And right now we remove every distraction in our mind, every distraction in our hearts that would stop us from hearing what you're wanting to say to us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint the words that I speak today and they would not be my own thoughts or my own words, but it would be what you want to say to your people today. We invite you to come and move however you want to move. Do whatever you want to do. Say whatever you want to say in this atmosphere today. And Lord, we posture our hearts and we posture our minds to receive what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, that everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Josh. You're amazing. Well, as I said, we moved to the Gold Coast just under two years ago. And so if you've just moved, welcome to holiday season on the Gold Coast where you are most likely either braving the crowds at the theme parks or sitting by any pool that you can get next to, or possibly you're making your way to one of the many beautiful beaches around the Gold Coast. And no matter what beach you go to, it's likely that you're going to see many of the same things at the beach. You'll see some red and yellow flags that all the responsible people are swimming between. You'll see the volunteer lifesavers who we are super thankful for. You'll see beautiful white sand that sometimes seems so far to that water and your feet are going to burn and are you ever going to make it across that hot part of the sand? you're most likely going to see some decent-sized waves. But one thing that has been at an ever-increasing measure around our beaches are these things. Has anyone noticed the increasing popularity of the Coco Cabana? Okay, honesty time, who owns a Coco Cabana? Okay, not so much the Coco Cabana crowd. In the last service, literally half the people in the room. In fact, they probably got them in the back of their car and they're on their way to Burley right now to claim their patch of sand. But if you're down at Burley on a Saturday afternoon, good luck finding a spot to sit that isn't already taken by someone else's beach tent. Now, I can remember growing up, we didn't have Coco Cabanas. We had a different type of beach tent it had it had a wooden stick up that way and then a wooden stick across that way and then a wooden stick down that way a stripy piece of canvas that you would loop over the top and some string that you would tent peg it into the sand does anyone know that type of beach tent a few people few of us are over 40 in the room so i don't know how the creators of this beach tent ever expected that a 10 centimeter chopstick thin tent peg was ever going to hold that thing in the soft sand. So my dad's a creative guy. I can remember as a five-year-old kid not even being able to lift up the tent pegs that dad had sourced for our beach tent. They were half the size of me. They were as thick as my arm. They required a sledgehammer to bang them into the ground. But how many people know the Weber beach tent did not go anywhere? Now, I'm not here this morning to talk to you about the evolution of the beach tent. But I do want us to have a look at a tent in the Bible. And I'm going to pose the question to you today. Are you in the tent with Jesus? Are you in the tent with Jesus? While your minds are ticking over for a moment, asterisk confession time. I know it's not theologically correct to say that Jesus lives in a tent. Jesus lives in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So please don't, judge my theology on the title of my message, I just thought it was a good segue from a tent story, okay? But who's ever heard of the tent of meeting or the tabernacle that's mentioned in the Bible? If you've ever read the books of Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers, you'll see it mentioned quite a few times. For the sake of time today, I won't be putting all of the scriptures and verses on screen but please feel free when you've got a spare weekend or two to dive in and check my theology now the significance of this tent of meeting was that it was the place that enabled the israelites to connect with god god had set out a very clear set of instructions and rituals That would be the accepted pattern of worshiping him in order for the israelites to acceptably worship god there needed to be a sacrifice first in order for their sins to be forgiven so here is an artist's impression of the tabernacle the tent of meeting which for the purpose of talking through some of these things has been cut in half it was fully covered when it was the tent of meeting but for the sake of today here is our map of the tent of meeting so to summarize it there's three main parts first we have the outer courts so you enter through the gate and you are in the outer courts now any israelite was allowed to go into the outer courts and in that place the priests would make sacrifices for the atonement of the sins of all of the people, right? Who's ever heard the Psalm said before, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, right? Maybe you've tried to give context to that. You're like, was God into basketball? Like, why why do we talk about the courts? That Psalm is referring to the people are able to come into the courts of God To worship him right and there's another psalm in psalm 100 says i will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart i will enter his courts with praise okay so we need to understand that the outer court was the closest that most people were able to ever get to the presence of god okay important note to remember that was as close as most people could get to the presence of God. That's why that's it. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Now the second place that we're going to look at is the holy place. So as you enter into the tent, it's the first two-thirds of the tent is known as the holy place. Okay? Now the priests who were the Levites, the priests were allowed to go into the holy place. And inside there was a lampstand was a table with 12 loaves of bread on it that were refreshed every week and was an altar of incense. And it was the job of the priests to tend to these elements to keep the light, the sustenance and the fragrance going. The third place that we see is the smaller portion of the tent and that is known as the holy of holies or the most holy place. Okay, You may have heard that referred to before in scripture. Now, the high priest was the only person who was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. They would go through that curtain in the middle, which was called the veil, and they would go into the Holy of Holies where there was one thing in there, and it was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what the Ark of the Covenant was, it was a wooden box that was covered in gold, and inside the Ark of the Covenant were three things. Number one, a gold jar filled with manna number two aaron's rod and number three the tablets of the ten commandments okay they were all contained within this ark of the covenant now what those things represented inside the ark was actually not the great choices and good behavior of the israelites but it actually represented the opposite It represented the manna was that the Israelites had been ungrateful for God's provision. The rod represented their rebellion against God and the tablets represented their failure to keep the law. So what the ark was representing was that the sins of the people needed to be atoned for. Does that make sense? Are we tracking okay so far? So on top of this, there were two golden angels and that was called the mercy seat. And that was where the very presence of God resided. Hence the name, the Holy of Holies. Now, once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would take with him blood from a calf or a goat and he would sprinkle that over the Ark of the Covenant and offer prayers of repentance for the people. Okay, so the things people were aware they had to repent of, they repented in the outer courts with the priests. The things they weren't aware of, the high priest would go on their behalf and repent of those sins so that God would not keep his presence from his people. Are you tracking with me so far? Now, when the high priest went in, he had to cover himself with smoke because if he saw God face to face, he would die. So the high priest wouldn't offer long prayers generally in case people thought he died in there. So he'd go in, pray the prayers, sprinkle the blood, come out, and all the Israelites would have a party together. Okay. So that's a summary of how the tabernacle worked In the old testament are we tracking okay so far so if you were here last year i preached a message on worship and so you might know where this is going next but to quickly summarize in the old testament the only way to access the presence of god was through a human priest but through what jesus did on the cross we no longer need a human priest we have access fully to the presence of God because Jesus is our high priest. So we have full and free access because Jesus' sacrifice made a way for you and I to come boldly into the presence of God and to stand before him holy and blameless. Come with me to the book of Hebrews and we're going to read from chapter 9. It says this. When Christ came as high priest. Of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not made with human hands. Note that. That is to say. It's not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. But he entered the most holy place. Note this once for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean how much more then will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to god Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. And let's say this together, so that we may serve the living God. So what this scripture is saying is that the earthly tabernacle that the Israelites worshipped at was merely a man-made version of the real tabernacle, which is heaven. And that Jesus didn't gain entry to this tabernacle via the blood of an imperfect animal sacrifice but that his blood was the perfect sacrifice once and for all talk about an upgrade so the parallels don't just stop there let's have a look at our diagram again jesus fulfills the lampstand in john 8 12 when he says i am the light of the world Jesus fulfills the bread table in John 6 35 when he says I am the bread of life. Jesus fulfills the incense offering in second Corinthians where Paul declares that we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Jesus makes a way for all of us into the holy of holies. What happened when he died on the cross? The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom as Mark 15 tells us and now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, in heavenly places. So all of the rituals, all of the rules, all of the limitations that would stop people from being in the presence of God were taken care of by Jesus. The work that Jesus did was for the eternal redemption of all of our sins once and for all he doesn't hop off the seat once a year and go back into the holy of holies and sprinkle some of his blood again it's done once and it's done right so Jesus is seated because his work is completed the priests didn't get to sit down they were always tending to things they were always doing a ritual they were always having to do something to make it okay for people to enter the presence of God. We don't have to do any of those things because Jesus has already completed that work for all of us. So in knowing this, let me ask you a question. Why do we stay in the outer courts? Why don't we live in the real, tangible, manifest presence of god why are we afraid to go deep with god and enter the most holy place with him sometimes we stand at a distance waiting for a five-step plan about how we can hear god's voice when he's just waiting for you and i to come close to him jesus has made that way There's nothing standing in the way of us coming into that holy place with him. Our son Zion is four years old. He's active. He's passionate. He's boisterous. He loves activity. He loves noise. He loves Super Mario, superheroes and super pets. He's in a bit of a super phase at the moment. And as much as I love all of those things about my son, If I ever need to get a clear instruction to Zion, I need him to stop whatever he's doing, come close to me and listen to what I have to say. I need him to stop what he's doing to come and hear my heart. Just as freely as Zion can turn the TV off and walk over to me, to be close to me and hear what I'm saying, we have that same access to the presence of God. We have the choice to stop whatever we're doing and prioritize being close to God. James chapter 4 verse 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. We love that part of the scripture because it seems so simple and so easy. We make the choice to move towards God. He makes the choice to move towards us. But we so often fail to read the very next line. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, I'm not here today to make anyone feel bad. I'm not here to judge anyone. This is a loving community of people who are just trying to work out their salvation together. But I do have to tell you the truth today. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done for us to be close to him. But it's up to us to choose. Do we choose God's way or do we choose the world's way? Do we choose my desires or his desires? Do we choose that our number one love is going to be God or do we choose that our number one love is going to be money? Do we choose praying or binge watching Netflix? Reading the Bible or scrolling through Instagram? having godly boundaries in our relationships or doing whatever feels good in the moment. Making the ethical business choice, even though it's hard or cutting a few corners just to get ahead. You see, we don't realize that all of these things contribute to the closeness that we feel to God. It's so easy to blame God. God's not there for me. God's not speaking to me. God's not blessing me. When in actual fact, it's our own decisions and choices that have resulted in us being far from him. The truth is, only holiness can dwell with the presence of God. The truth is, we can't make ourselves holy. But the truth is, Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for us to be made holy. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 6 says this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their Savior. Do you know what keeps jumping out at me? This is on us to clean our hands. This is on us to purify our hearts. This is on us to remove anything from our lives that is an idol before God God has already done everything that he needs to do and you might be thinking well that all sounds well and good and it's easier said than done I want to give you a really simple key this morning that is going to help you to be able to draw closer to the presence of God I want to talk to you for a moment about a word that isn't talked about nearly enough in churches. The word is repentance. For some reason, we think that repentance is something that we only do once when we make a decision to follow Christ. And then some of us create this theology from there. It's all good because grace will cover it. That Jesus died to forgive my sins, so it doesn't really matter what I do. I can live however I like and do whatever I like, and God will forgive me. But that's a very dangerous way of thinking, and it certainly doesn't lead to the closeness of relationship that God wants to have with each one of us. Liz and I try to pray together every single day. And most of those times we pray together, one of us or both of us will find ourselves repenting of something. You can't come before the Lord and open your heart up to hear what He wants to say and not readily apply the gift that you've been given of repentance it's not always us repenting to each other it's more often me apologizing for something silly that i did but in those moments god reveals the things that are in our heart it is presence the perspective changes rather than us justifying our position And thinking of all the reasons why everyone else is wrong. When we come humbly before the Lord. And he exposes those innermost thoughts and desires of our heart. He's given us a gift of repentance. Saying, God, I'm sorry. Saying, Liz, I'm sorry. Making a decision, we're going to change our way we're going to try and do better. And it's in that posture of humility that our hearts and our hands and our affections turn from the things of this world and turn back to God. It's in that posture and in that place that we experience the tangible, manifest presence of God. When you feel Him fill the room, When you feel his pleasure upon you. When you feel that closeness that we all long for, but allow things to stand in the way. True freedom is found in his presence. And we find our way to his presence through repentance. Don't wait for things to get diabolical before you think, Oh, I better repent. Make your lifestyle one of repentance. Be the first to say sorry. Be the first to acknowledge when there's something that's not right in your heart. Because I promise you, you will be closer to God for it. We don't need to pretend that we've got it all together to come to God. We don't need to earn our way into his presence. We don't need to perform to experience his love. But we do need to repent. When my kids have done the wrong thing and I invite them to come over and have a conversation with that, they can't look me in the eye any other parents relate it's a pretty quick giveaway but when they acknowledge what they did wrong when they apologize for what they did wrong when they ask for forgiveness they look me straight in the eye because they know there is nothing in their hearts anymore standing between them and their daddy. Can I ask you a question today? Can you look Jesus in the eyes? Can you look Jesus in the eyes this morning? Knowing there's nothing in your heart That he's not asking you to let go of. That there's nothing in your life that you need to turn away from. When you're faced with his goodness, when you're faced with his holiness, when you're faced with his kindness, do you run towards him with a repentant heart or do you run away because it's too confronting?